If you will remain standing and open your Bibles now to Revelation chapter 3, verses 4 through 22, not 33, it's a typo there in your bulletins, but Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, and here, beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. You may be seated. We have come to the final message to the seven churches of Asia Minor. Of course, each message has not been simply to that particular church alone, the message to each church was a message that all the churches needed to hear. It was for all of them. But the book of Revelation is also Holy Scripture and meant for everyone who reads it. And so the messages to the seven churches are messages to us, not just for those seven specific churches. As we have discussed, the number seven is symbolic of wholeness or completeness. And so these seven churches are symbolic of the church universal, the complete church, the whole church throughout this age. That is, from the time of its writing until the time of Christ's bodily return, these messages are for the church, the whole church. I've really enjoyed covering each of these messages with you each Lord's Day. I have to confess, I used to think that if I ever preached through the book of Revelation, that I would really enjoy everything after the messages to the seven churches, because that's where it really gets exciting. But now having preached through it, I really don't want it to end. It's been so good, so helpful, so pastoral, and I hope 
all of you have enjoyed it as well. <clears throat> to be honest, if you have understood what we've covered in chapter 1, and now what we've covered in these seven messages in chapters 2 and 3, then you really know what's in the rest of the book. Yes, the rest of the letter will give us more details, and there are some added dimensions. But we've really already seen much of what the rest of the book contains. We've already seen the beast at work persecuting the church. We've seen the false prophet deceiving the church or, or attempting to deceive the church and sometimes being successful. We've seen the harlot Babylon seducing the church. And most importantly, we have seen the ascending, the ascended Christ tending to his church, the bride here on earth as she undergoes tri tribulation and awaits his return to take her to be with him forever. And there are other themes that we've covered that I could have added to that description. But the point is that you already know the book of Revelation. You know the paradigm from which it is going to operate. And so have confidence in yourselves because you pretty much know the basic structure of one of, if not the most difficult books in the Bible. Well, let us look now to the final message, the message to the church in Laodicea. This church was not doing very well. They were not doing so well in the tribulation. Now, she thinks she is, but she receives no commendations from the Lord, only rebukes. In many of the other messages, the Lord spoke of the church's good works first, and then would list the things that he has against them. Not so, in this message, he goes straight to rebuking them. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, unfortunately, Christ's words here are often misinterpreted. The mistake is that people think that to be hot means to be on fire for the Lord. And to be cold means to be totally opposed to the Lord. And to be lukewarm sort of means to be indifferent to the Lord. And so it's usually interpreted to mean that Christ would prefer them to be all for him or totally against him. But to be in between is sickening to the Lord. Well, the problem with such an interpretation is that the Lord is actually commending being both hot and cold. He commends being either one. And so it's unreasonable to think that the Lord would commend being totally uncommitted to himself. For us to be or for anyone to be totally uncommitted to the Lord. And so that interpretation is an unfortunate one. So then what does Jesus mean here? Well, it's helpful to know a little bit about the city of Laodicea in order to 
clearly comprehend what the Lord is saying. Now, the city of Laodicea did not have a good water source. Other surrounding cities did. For example, to the north, the city of Hierapolis had medicinal waters from their hot springs. And Colossae to the east, they had cool mountain streams from which they drank their water. Laodicea, however, had to pipe in water from the south of their city. In fact, there remains in that region an aqueduct system that channels into the former city of Laodicea. And the water from those pipes was lukewarm. One ancient historian said that the water that they piped into the city had its source in the Lycus River, which was turbid with white mud. And it was, quote, nauseous and undrinkable. Now, I think this helps us a bit to understand, perhaps a little better, the point of Christ's rebuke to the church. Both hot and cold water were useful. But lukewarm water was good for nothing. Christ's point was not, be all for me hot, or totally against me cold, but don't be indifferent, lukewarm. No, his point was, be useful. Just as the hot waters of Hierapolis were useful for medicinal purposes, and just as the cold waters at Colossae were useful for drinking, don't be like your own lukewarm water, which is basically Useless. It has no healing properties, and as far as drinking goes, it is nauseating. This the church would have understood very well. Just as they wanted to spit out their own drinking water, likewise, Christ wanted to spit them out of his mouth on account of their uselessness in the surrounding culture. Now, you would think that Laodicea's water condition might be a telltale sign that the city was fairly poor. But that couldn't be further from the truth. The fact that they had an aqueduct system actually indicates that they had great wealth. In fact, the city was well known for several things which would have made them a very prospering city. For example, the city had a medical school. And you might guess from our passage what one of the practices that they specialized in was ophthalmology. The Guild of Physicians there had produced an eye salve which apparently had healing properties. Now, another local pride for Laodicea was their textile production of black wool. And lastly, they were a prominent center for banking and commerce. And so they were a very wealthy community. And they were very well aware of it. Laodicea boasted in their wealth. They prided themselves in their prosperity so much 
that when their city sustained prominent damage from an earthquake in 60 AD, they actually declined disaster relief from the Roman Empire, boasting in their own self-sufficiency. Ah, we, we have it taken care of. We don't need any help. Well, in this case, unfortunately, it was like city, like church. All of these circumstances are addressed by Jesus in his words to the church. Take notice in verses 17 and 18 how their banking, their textile productions of wool, and their medical practices correspond with Christ's rebuke. He says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered and need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Isn't it interesting that Jesus speaks to a church that outwardly abounds in resources and prosperity yet says that they are poor. The paradoxical motif that we have noticed in some of the other previous messages to the seven churches continues here as well, doesn't it? You might remember, Smyrna was impoverished, yet Christ proclaimed that they were rich. Sardis had a name for being alive, but Christ said they were dead. And here... Laodicea was rich and affluent, yet Christ said they were poor, blind, and naked. The way things are in this world, beloved, are not necessarily the way they are in God's kingdom. In fact, they are often not the same at all. Laodicea found their prosperity in the things of this world, rather than in Christ and the spiritual treasures that are found in him. And because of their resources, they believed that they needed nothing. Can you imagine that? Perhaps you've even experienced that. Part of the issue was likely that they believed their worldly wealth was a result of being very spiritual. In other words, perhaps a health wealth gospel had creeped in, causing them to boast in their self-sufficiency. What more did they need? Clearly God had blessed them. But it was this very attitude that blinded them from seeing the fact that they were actually spiritually bankrupt on account of their sinful nakedness. Their spiritual condition was very much like Israel in the days of Hosea, the prophet. While calling them to amend their ways in the 12th chapter, the prophet says this to them in verses 7 and 8. 
a merchant in whose hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. Ephraim has said, Ah, but I am rich. I have found wealth for myself. In all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. I'm without sin. I am rich. What else do I need? Christ, I think, likely has in mind the state of Israel in Hosea 12 when he says to Laodicea, the church at Laodicea, you say, I am rich. Just as Ephraim had said, ah, but I am rich, I have found wealth for myself. And also Israel was blinded toward their sin, saying, in all my labors, they cannot find in me iniquity or sin. And so too was the church in Laodicea blinded toward their sin, needing the eye salve that Christ references. And so what was that sin to which they were blinded? Well, it was probably giving in to the same temptations with which the other churches had been seduced. Namely, participating in the festivals of the trade guilds, which paid tribute to the patron deities who supposedly blessed those guilds. Again, this is similar to Israel in Hosea chapter 12, verse 7, where the prophet compared them to a merchant whose hands are false balances. That word there, merchant, is actually the word Canaan. Literally, that verse translates Canaan. In his hands are false balances. He loves to oppress. You see, the prophet, I think, was comparing Israel to the Canaanites who were unethical traders And who depended upon their false gods to prosper them. At that time, Israel had started crediting even their prosperity to false gods, to false idols. Or idols, false gods. In effect, this very thing, beloved, would have been displayed in the lives of the Laodiceans when they attended those trade guilds and those festivals that were thrown in honor of the false gods. And so the spiritual condition of the church in Laodicea, you can see, was not very good. And Christ rebukes them and warns them of the potential of spitting them out of his mouth, which would be synonymous, I believe, with removing their lampstand. Yet despite these things, Christ loves them. He says, those whom I love, I reprove. And discipline. In his love, he has mercy, which is indicated by his calling them to zealously repent. Christ described what zealous repentance would look like in their situation when he counseled them to buy from him gold refined by fire, white garments, and salve to anoint their eyes. Now, what does all of this indicate? Well, first, it tells us that there is no true repentance apart from turning to Christ. Where else could they turn but to the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's 
creation as Jesus describes himself at the beginning of this message. If the church in Laodicea was going to be a faithful witness to Christ, then they needed to look to the preeminent witness, the preeminent faithful witness, Christ himself. Having been a faithful and true witness unto death, he rose again and became the beginning of God's creation, meaning the beginning of the new creation. He is the firstborn from among the dead, the firstborn of God's creation. That's what it's talking about here, the new creation, having risen from the dead. And having done so, he has come to possess all the spiritual and eternal blessings that this church needed to inherit that new creation. Blessings such as gold, white garments, and salve. It is from Christ alone that they could purchase such items. Now, clearly this is a metaphor. Because it's not those literal items that they needed. For those were the very earthly items which Laodicea possessed and in which they boasted. Furthermore, it's not as if one could buy their own salvation or the benefits of salvation. What sinner has the resourcefulness to purchase the riches of grace? That's just absurd. Sinners are bankrupt. And that's just the point that Christ is making to the church there at Laodicea. They think they are rich and in need of nothing. But he wanted them to know that with regard to true riches, they were actually spiritually destitute. The word therefore by in Greek has a more basic meaning of frequenting the marketplace. Frequenting the marketplace to obtain things. And here it's the marketplace of spiritual blessings. Where Christ has laid out his merchandise. Not for those who believe they are rich. But for those who know that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. In and of themselves. Now, he tells them three specific items that they needed to obtain from him in this spiritual marketplace. And the first is gold refined by fire, which symbolizes the spiritual purification that believers undergo through the tribulation. Remember the tribulation referred to in the book of Revelation spans from Christ's first coming to his second coming. And so if they will go to the marketplace of spiritual blessing, then the divine merchant will help them to obtain purity as they face all the trials and temptations that come before them. Second, they needed to obtain white garments to clothe the shame of their nakedness. And here Christ is referring to the sinful shame that the very first man, Adam, brought on the whole human race. 
before Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 2.25 says they were naked and not ashamed. But after they sinned, Genesis 3.7 says that they knew they were naked and attempted to cover themselves with fig leaves. Why? Because they were now ashamed. And so it's referring to the shame of sin. Christ, the divine merchant, has white garments on display in his marketplace of spiritual blessing. Where one can be clothed in order to cover the shame of sin. In opposition to the black wool produced by the textile industry in Laodicea. They are to be white garments. Pure garments. In other words, garments that are unstained by the idolatrous facets of their society. In Revelation, when one stains their garment, it's an idolatry which stains. Thirdly, Christ says they should obtain from him salve to anoint their eyes. See, they needed spiritual discernment to see how the dragon, the false prophet, and the harlot city Babylon were operating in the society around them. And in order for them to discern and examine spiritually their own lives so as to stop taking part in aligning with those forces... And so these were the actions they needed to take in order to zealously repent. Repentance begins in the heart, but it should always go to action. They needed to see through the supposed riches of this world and pursue true spiritual riches from Christ, the divine merchant. Now, Christ didn't tell them, if you'll notice, to get rid of their earthly goods. No, they needed to repent of how they viewed those earthly goods. Their view of those things kept them from recognizing the true eternal wealth that is only found in Jesus Christ. And it kept them from truly evaluating their spiritual state. See, Christ loves them. And those whom he loves, he disciplines. It's not a discipline to exercise his wrath, but a discipline of correction. You see, because he loves them, he extends his mercy to them, which is demonstrated by his call for them to repent. Christ is helping them to avoid his wrath and judgment by giving them time to repent. And in conjunction with this, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, between the lukewarm metaphor and the present one, this is probably one of the most misinterpreted passages in 
all of Scripture. Perhaps you've heard a description or even seen a picture of Jesus standing at the door of someone's heart, knocking, hoping that they will open the door to let him in and to dine. Well, that is not at all what Jesus is intending to communicate here. Christ is not calling them to be converted by opening the door of their hearts to let him in and to rule over their hearts. That would mean that the the door that Jesus is knocking on is someone else's house. But the door he's knocking on is his own house. You see, in the culture of their day, if the master of the house set out on a journey, the servants of the house would take care of the house and they were to be prepared for the master's return, especially if they knew the time of his returning was near. They were to keep themselves awake, dressed, and ready for action. Jesus, in fact, tells a parable based upon this custom called the parable of the returning master in Luke chapter 12. And in that parable, Jesus says, Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now here in Revelation, he is saying something similar to that parable. Jesus is knocking at the door of the church, his own house, informing informing them that His return is imminent. And so the message was, keep awake, be alert, dressed and ready for action. And the dining that he is referring to is the marriage supper of the Lamb described in Revelation chapter 19. Now, perhaps he's even referring to dining with them in the Lord's Supper as well which they participated in each Lord's Day. Perhaps he's mentioning this also because he is suggesting that he is presently at the door, knocking and ready to come in and dine with them. Now Christ closes this final message with a promise to the overcomer, saying... The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. And as with the promises to the conquerors and all the other messages, so this one also is a promise of future reward. A promise that will be fulfilled at Christ's bodily return. And so the conqueror will not complete his quest to conquer until his life here on earth is done. Just as it was with Christ, so it shall be for his followers. When did Christ conquer? At his death. How did he conquer? Through his faithful witness as a suffering servant Upon the cross. When will you, O Christian, conquer? 
at your death. How will you conquer? By being faithful witness to Christ as you pick up your cross and follow him. It is a cross-stamped life, a life of suffering first and glory second. For when glory comes, you will sit with Christ on his throne, just as he conquered through suffering first and then sat down in glory upon his father's throne. And so this promise is not yet fulfilled in the lives of believers. Though, there is an already aspect to this promise as well, which we will have occasion to point out in future passages. Okay, so if we, beloved, are to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, then what should we take from this message to Laodicea? Well, we need to be alert, dressed, And ready for action. So that we are prepared for Christ's bodily return. And we do this not by frequenting the marketplace of this world. And having all the earthly riches that this world has to offer. Riches which promise happiness but do not satisfy. We remain ready by frequenting the marketplace of spiritual blessing where Christ is the only vendor. But only those who see that they are wretched sinners. Only those who see that they are spiritually bankrupt in and of themselves, would ever want to be a consumer in this marketplace. This is something the believer must never forget. Lest he lose sight of his need of grace and mercy and lose sight of his need for Christ himself. Beloved, we need to be consumers in the marketplace of Christ's spiritual blessings so that we might make good use of all the benefits that he has accomplished for us and that he readily offers to us. And the beauty of this is that we can obtain them without cost. Christ has already purchased them for us. It's as Isaiah said in chapter 55, verses 1 and 2, when he writes, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Beloved, how much of the temporary things and enjoyments of this world do you consume? And how much of the eternal, true, spiritual riches 
do you consume? Such as the word, prayer, fellowship with other believers, the Lord's Day worship, and so on. How ready are you for Christ's return? How faithful of a witness are you being for Christ as you live before the onlooking world? When you face suffering and trials, ask yourself this. Are you being refined like gold in the fires of tribulation? When you encounter idolatrous temptations, temptations to worship something other than the one true and living triune God, do your garments remain unstained? Here's a good question to ask. Are you able to spiritually discern how the beast, the false prophet, and the harlot Babylon are operating in the culture around you? Or do you simply blind to it and take part in it? Many of the churches in these messages were losing the battle to the cultural influence in their cities. Even in this message, the church in Laodicea were just like the city who boasted in their earthly riches and wealth. They were not spiritually discerning with the eyes of faith but being influenced by the city at large. Beloved, if you have failed in any of these areas, and we all do at times, then zealously repent. Run to the marketplace of spiritual blessing and obtain from Christ the spiritual goods that you need, the gold refined by fire, the white garments to Clothe the shame of your nakedness and the salve to anoint your spiritual eyes. Christ, beloved, has conquered and overcome the world. He has accomplished your salvation and all the benefits and blessings that you need to overcome by persevering in faith. Be a faithful witness to Christ. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we, we give you thanks for the marketplace of spiritual blessing. All the benefits, all the blessings of Christ provided for us without cost. We can come to the waters without cost, as Isaiah says, as later in Revelation also talks about. We thank you for this, Lord, for we come with no money, no resources. We come only with our sin and shame. And so we thank you for your marvelous grace. Lord, anoint our eyes. Refine us like fire and clothe us that we might be faithful witnesses to you. In Jesus' name, amen.